All right, so I'm talking about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 78. 78. Seven, oh, no, no, Mission, Mission Impossible 78. That's how many I want. Uh, let's see. We got the new trailer, which also we have a bumped up Wednesday release date, so that's going to be very exciting. Not as exciting as rewatching all of them leading up into this one, but... The trailer definitely gives a little sneak peek at more of the action sequences that's going to set off. But also, I mean, in a conversation we'll spoil later, but this one will definitely have a more deserving cliffhanger leading into part their part two, respectively. Um, but the scope and size of like what this Mission Impossible is going to bring is definitely bigger and better than what they did previously. I, I mean... You say Tom Cruise, I'll tell you when. I'll jump how high or whatever that saying goes. But I, I am all there. I. Do you think they're gonna like? They keep teasing that they're gonna kill someone off because they, they're they're saying something. I wonder what they, what they will do with that. Uh, if they kill Simon Pegg's character, I will leave the theater. Just saying. But uh, which one of the movies are they in London for the majority? Is that like four or five? Fallout. Fallout. Yeah. Big ben. Well, that might be the one where I'm in London then, so I'll wa- I'll have to watch it on my own. Uh, I will not be there for that specific Mission Monday. But, yeah, I mean, there's what else? I, I didn't need to watch the trailers for these, and that's like most of the movies I've talked about lately is like, I'm gonna see this movie. You didn't need to sell me on it at all. And I mean, Haley Atwell alone. It's gonna give me my butt in, my, in the seat, because they wasted her in the MCU after all these years and they're finally reading her off but yeah I mean it's all the same high intensity action Tom Cruise is ready to Tom Cruise it up and like I said if we do lose one of the main like side characters I really hope it's not Simon Pegg well there's that quick one thing they do show in the trailers there's that quick scene of him running taking that mojo away from Tom Cruise (laughs) so that'd be kind of that'd be kind of interesting but it's. It seems like one of the you know the big five, big original uh, the four of their team might might get, get something here, but I mean, it we're gonna be in the seat like we were this time last year for Tom Cruise, but uh, I think everyone loves Mission Impossible and knowing that this one's coming to a close with an actual storyline better than the current franchise that is trying to come to a close that doesn't have a storyline. We'll we'll get to that one later. But the other new trailer that dropped this week was one that I have been anticipating for a long time. One of those movies where you've only seen the one production still for nearly two years, and that's all you can get. But the Killers of the Flower Moon trailer was finally released, and I am just can't contain myself i drool anytime i've I've watched this trailer at least 12 times on the first day it was released we get the return of martin scorsese with de niro and martin scorsese with leonardo dicaprio as well as lily gladstone jesse plemons newly awarded academy best actor winner brendan frazier i am very much excited for this film it just premiered at Cannes this weekend with ravished reviews uh Unfortunately, someone might have spoiled some of the stuff online, but anyways, regardless of that, three hours, 26 minutes, the early runtime, and I look forward to every minute I can be alone with that. October 20th will be our wide release day, but I know you just watched this trailer, but you decided to hold out on me, but uh, I feel like you might be as excited as I am, right? No, I, d- I didn't watch the trailer because I don't care. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, this is your thing for sure. Like, you can have your Leo and your Scorsese and things and whatnot. And I mean, like, it looks like a very sprawling Western-style story, and that's what I would want to see. Uh, anytime Scorsese works with Leo, it's good. Anytime uh, Scorsese works with De Niro, it's good. So putting them together is only a recipe for success. So, I mean, (laughs) it's another one of those things where it's like, I didn't need the trailer because I plan on seeing it, but, like, it didn't also give away too much, so it's not that big of a deal, really. Well, 
one trailer that I will say that kind of blew my expectations on was the creator real quick Gareth Edwards new film and you can tell that this guy just likes being in the world of sci-fi I mean he he did monsters early on and was able to attach himself to the Godzilla and the Star Wars or Rogue One story and now he's gotten his own look at a new sci-fi adaptation of a post-apocalyptic future uh, this stars John David Washington Jimma Chain and Allison Janney uh, with some other key likable characters I just seeing this the world build in the trailer alone was like yeah I want to be there and I mean everything that this trailer gave off was really fucking sick and this comes out in September so that's already a promising look at a month that usually doesn't get entirely too much um John David Washington, a guy that we really thought would be doing a lot more after Tenet, and he's kind of just getting back into that. I hope this is good for him. And, you know, Amsterdam was not. So this this will be exciting. Um, it kind of gives off the that really good sci-fi world-building landscape that I like. Did you see anything from this trailer that caught your eye, or are you kind of like, we'll see what happens? No. <laughs> That, no, that trailer, I mean, this movie looks like Blade Runner uh, done over again on, like, just slightly more in the future or something. I'm, that, this isn't something that even blew me away after watching the trailer, but, like, and I didn't know what it, what it, what it was before I saw it, so this is the type of thing that I need a trailer for, but the trailer didn't really do that much for me. Uh, I mean, you know me, I'll probably see it, but we'll... We'll definitely have to cross that bridge when it comes. But if you're going to go ahead and slip trailers in here, then we are going to talk about the Haunted Mansion second trailer that came out that actually makes this movie look like they're trying to be, like, a little bit more scary and lean more towards the horror element. And, like, the effects when it comes to the ghosts in this trailer are spectacular. So I, if, I, I, do, I felt the need to mention that. No, I'll say the trailer definitely looked uh, better than the first one in that they actually had a little bit more effort into it than I first thought. Um, this might be one of the films. I don't have the list right in front of me, but if we're talking a cast that will get me to see a movie, this one might be one of them uh, just because of the collection of Owen Wilson, Lakeith Stanfield, Danny DeVito, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, newly awarded Academy Oscar winner. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, the last Disney movie based on a uh, cruise ride, amusement park idea, whatever, wasn't so bad. I enjoyed Jungle Cruise. So we'll see if this one has it. But it might still not come close to the Eddie Murphy one. When it comes out, we can at least plan to watch all of the Disney movies that are based off of rides. So we'll watch the Country Bears and all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and the Tower of Terror movie, and then we'll get to uh, Jungle Cruise. Oh, and Tomorrowland. We can watch that, too, with George Clooney. All right. We got a marathon, right? Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, that, now that that's over, we'll get to the, the special episode. This is how I went. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. No. No, you. You complete me. I'm the king of the world! Have a good sense of humor, you're better off dead. 69, dudes! Welcome back to the Sin Arrivals podcast, folks. If this podcast episode sounds a little bit different, well, there is a good reason for that. We are currently on the move, heading 70 miles per hour down the highway, uh, uh, eastbound. Heading down to, or heading to the great state of Ohio, the not so great state of Ohio, actually, if you would. Um, but 
when while we were in the car or because we are in the car and because cars have such a huge pivotal part in the franchise of films we are about to talk to, to or talk about today we decided to record our episode on the move in the car we got our guest driver johnny say hi johnny Okay, I'm not cut out of this part. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we're in the car, so we can at least acknowledge that you are safely transporting us while we record an episode of a podcast in a vehicle, okay. but yeah. Yeah. What am I saying? I don't know. <laughs> well, anyways, the movies we'll be talking about are the new release that we, uh, the only new release we're going to be talking about really is Fast X finally hitting theaters this week and let me tell you this is in fact the 10th film in the Fast and Furious franchise and that's about the best thing I can say about this movie um the action is is just as it, it always it's it's there's there's a bit of a chart happening here where the action is ramping up but the cohesiveness and the amount of shit you give about the characters is plummeting down. They definitely forgot that the heart and soul of this franchise is not just the explosions and the car fights, but it's these like characters, this family we've come to know. And this movie probably does the worst possible job of like connecting the family together through like a, a big mission or whatever, because almost in like a fin- an infinity war-esque style they split up the team for like into like three different parts for the majority of the movie so you don't get those good interactions with the family members but like i said other than that i could really get down on the action on this obviously vin diesel can use a car like a swiss army knife if there's anything that needs to be done he can make a car do that which is like a superpower in and of itself and this movie brought in easily the most eccentric villain of any of these Fast and Furious movies with Jason Momoa's, I can't even remember, but it's like Dante something, Revis or something. Who, Reyes, Dante Reyes? I don't know. It's the son of the, the Fast Five guy, but dude is having just the most fun time of all time with this movie he it's almost like they told him just be as ridiculous as you can and we're not actually going to give you a script so you just figure it out uh and a lot of the times it works sometimes it like misses but a lot of it hits and uh i'll let brent elaborate on what he thought about jason momoa also, we have to pass the mics back and forth because of this. Uh, we're doing it in the car, so there might be a bit of a delay between the conversations. Not too much of a delay, because you can obviously cut that part out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we got our installment, our latest one of uh, a franchise 20 years in the making, Fast and Furious. I mean, look, look at us. Who would have thought, right? Not me. <laughs> Not me. Nope. Uh, Fast and Furious 10, like Brett was saying, um, this is definitely one of the more weaker installments of a franchise that has, has um, I mean, honestly, I haven't felt this much, you know, stain on watching one of these movies than this one coming out of it, and it honestly made me kind of recollect more hatred that some might have for other installments in the franchise than kind of liking that one more. Um, I know we're at the part, or the point where when we watch these movies, you know what you're getting, you know what you're getting yourself into. You know, you're not watching in- incredible cinema. You're just going in to watch this insane action sequence that they have come up with. And boy, do they do that in this one. I can't wait for when they go back in time, though, in part two. They, they you got that. Uh, but like Brett said, they do add some interesting uh, pieces to the mix. They reestablish what Fast Five meant for us, uh, as that is just one of not just the best movie in the franchise but up there with one of the best action films of the last decades that goes along with the Mission Impossible Fallouts, the Mad Max Fury Roads um, your Michael Bay's Ambulance I'm going to say it I'm going to say it <laughs> but this this certainly is quite the uh, tone out of what we've gotten from other Fast and Furious movies I know the installment the new installment with Jason Momoa's bad guy is definitely on brand with getting great actors playing insane villains however this one's not going to turn and be on the side of the family like we've had in previous films i think 
what Momoa was doing here is exactly what you needed to do, add a new flavor to what characters there are in these uh, in this universe. Um, there's there's a lot of batshit stuff that happens in terms of uh, action sequences. Um, enough crazy things here, and I mean, I, I had a good time with most of that, but uh, afterwards there was definitely me head-scratching myself, like, why would they end it on such a note? Like, like do they do they think that they're a Marvel film and capping this off like Infinity War? I mean, the thing... I it, We knew it was going to be a part one, Vin Diesel, and now it's apparently a part one of three. So we're going to get another big cliffhanger moment here at the end. But what I did like, I didn't like how they ended it, but I like how they gave us... Again, we're probably going to be singing the praises of Jason Momoa pretty much the whole time because he is the most entertaining part of this movie. Uh, You have great supporting actor performances and additions from uh, Alan Richardson. I don't know if it's Richardson or Richardson. Rickson? Whatever. It's Thad Castle. He shows up in this movie, and so does Brie Larson, and both of them are, like, under, like, Mr. Nobody's umbrella of, like, the agency that they work for that they don't even give a name anymore. Or, like, it's just some secret agency. Um, And they're good, but Jason Momoa steals every freaking scene. And I think what they did was they not only made him, like, ridiculous and fun, but they made him intimidating to a point as well. There is definitely, like you can believe that he would be an adversary that like Dom couldn't deal with because he's so random and like unpredictable and it's a good setup for a villain that's probably going to be overarching over three movies one of the central points that he had though is his dad didn't want him to go straight out into killing Dominic Trotter he wants him to suffer first and so this big overarching you know thought that part one has is that you know, he doesn't want Dom to just die. He wants him to suffer first. And I think all throughout this whole film, as he put him through the ringer of all these sequences of action and pulling his family apart and taking his son and the, I guess you can say, spoiler, untimely death of his brother, a lot of that was the suffering. And it ends where he kind of informs him that your suffering is over now. Time to time to die. Well, well technically, his brother and a whole team, if we're talking spoilers, because that's how they left that point off. Like, that's actually what's going to happen. They really be- going to make us believe that they killed off Natalie Emanuel, Tyrese Gibson, and Ludacris all in one fatal swoop without giving them, like, an emotional send-off? Oh, yeah, sorry. I forgot about the, the guy flying the plane. <laughs> uh, but it's, like I said, it's like Fast and Furious is one of the easiest movies to give a pass to these days just because you know what you're getting into when you sign up for one of these movies. We're ten films in, and since five every single movie just gets more and more ridiculous and far-fetched and you kind of just have to be like all right this is just how they are so you accept them and it kind of works it's one of those franchises where it gets the pass of being like absolutely absurd and ridiculous but no one cares because they can still get down with how entertaining it is it is pretty much the definition of a blockbuster franchise in that sense so that's great the only, the only problem with blockbusters is they usually make money, and it does not look like Fast X is going to be the big bank earner like they thought it was going to be. Oh, and, but, I mean, that now they're banked in for two movies, so we'll see. Yeah, one of the very excellent points there, and we've talked about it before in conversations about how Fast and Furious, I want to say, since they, they basically, in every installment, they travel somewhere across the globe than they did in the previous movie. They go to Brazil... Uh, London hardly ever in America these days but they are always yeah Antarctica they always traveling around the world which is great to see whether it's you know fake bullshit half the time because I mean they're in Rome in this film but you can kind of tell a lot of scenes where they just also weren't in Rome Um, but this is a very global dominant franchise and that's how it makes its money Um, in the US alone it made 67.5 million opening weekend and that's a little bit of a stale number considering but we're also talking about you know the big and, and it made over 300 globally which that's that is good note we are talking however the higher installment of this franchise was fast set was furious seven and that's when it made its big bank in the u.s and i think a lot of that and we all know it came from the untimely passing of paul walker and more people coming to theaters to kind of see how that movement um and that character closing arc came to be 
um, very beloved actor and character within that universe Paul Walker is and I mean it, it really sucks going back and rewatching stuff knowing that he was uh, very much not just a part of the film but also had a lot of the heart with the story I mean we got Too Fast Too Furious and we got to see his character in Miami and we got to bring along with him the Ludacris and the Tyrese Gibson characters and so we have a lot of that to be thankful for but this movie has been strictly you know made to impress everyone around the world and I think they definitely do that um, it's just really hard when you have 10 films plus the spinoff Hobbs and Shaw that we don't really talk about too much but I still think is great at the end of the day after watching this one um, there's a lot to take away from it though but after the way they end this it's very interesting I know we were just talking about this yesterday how are they even going to market this movie I mean, you, you put Dom and his son in this situation where, like, are you going to spoil them surviving? Are you going to show the cast members of this one? You also have the return of Gal Gadot's character. Are you going to go more into that? Like, how are they going to even advertise this part two movie? The, the trailer is going to be like, Dom Toretto is a sad man. All of his friends are dead, and he's being hunted by Jason Momoa. Like, what literally what are they gonna do it's probably just gonna be some sad song over like sad looks of <laughs> freaking uh vin diesel well and and like what they did when they had the events of infinity war because this is a very comparable part of clo- uh, you know chapter closing here but when those characters in infinity war were snapped and they turned into dust we knew they were still alive because they had other films signed on for whether it was their characters or actors they were still part of the universe going forward and so when Endgame was being advertised they did a very good job of just keeping it the original six or five members and only showing us like the first you know hour of that three hour movie I I don't know what they're going to do with part two and quite frankly depending upon how this movie I mean supposedly this had a 300 to 350 million dollar budget and so that's going to be hard for them to try and make two more of these. So I, th- I think we might actually get a part two where, however they market it, that's on them. But I think they might conclude it with a closing part where we don't need a part three. And, I mean, I hope not. At this point, I'd rather see, like, maybe some other spinoffs like return. We do get the return of The Rock's. Hobbs, um, I think that's going to be fucking fantastic. We got a little sneak peek of Jason Statham and Sh- as Shaw. I think. Oh, we also forgot Han was also one of the people in the planes that that might have died. Yeah. So that that's going to be unfortunate. Um, but it's going to be very interesting how they bring this back. We do get very very light work here, but they talk about nobody, Mister Nobody, so much, which is the Kurt Russell character, uh, Brie Larson. She plays her his daughter, and you still get a little bit of. Scott Eastwood's return as uh, Mr. Lil Nobody, uh, which is really funny. But I, I think what we're going to learn a lot in part two, though, is what the work the, this uh, what Mr. Nobody's been doing in the shadows, because that's what brought Brie Larson out. And I wonder if she was staying with with Brie, um, with Gal Gadot's character and a lot of the subway talk and like what's going on with that. Uh, I, I, it's gonna be gonna be pretty fun. They definitely bring people back from the dead all the time. Um, I'm I'm all for that part of it. The, the Charlie Theron and the Michelle Rodriguez, the whatever they got going on with that, it's gonna be very interesting. Um, I I don't know. I mean, we got till 2025, so another two year break between what we're gonna get. Um, and so it's it's. I mean, something's gonna be calling here. Maybe they get another big name actor to join the works. I mean, there's four Academy Award winning actresses in this film alone with Rita Moreno, Brie Larson, Helen Mirren, and Charlize Theron. Like, they have no strangers to getting talent a part of these casts, and Vin Diesel just loves this character so much, and sometimes it's great watching him do that. It is, however, hard watching him try and act emotions because there's some parts where he kind of can't, you know, his face just looks a little funny when he does it. I mean... Um, he has to find gravity a lot of times, and so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm head scratching my thoughts. It's not my favorite Fast and Furious film. It's also not my best. Uh, and it's afterwards, it made me go back and kind of think of what bad ones were talked about. I mean, it's it's something. And the and the director, we didn't even talk about the director incident, but like Justin Lin was working on this film the whole time, who did the previous previous installments and whatnot. And there was such a dispute with Vin Diesel being more heads on as a producer that caused Justin Lin to like leave production. I mean, there's these there I remember there was these set videos 
of Vin talking about shooting on the day and it with Justin Lin. And you can see the discomfort in Lin's body language about how he just doesn't want to be a part of this anymore. And whether that's just the grueling work of making the film or behind the scenes more with what Vin Diesel is as a producer, who knows? But we do know the, the crap that happened with him in The Rock and how that kind of got split in, in both ways. And here we are now. Like, I think the director is what really kind of lacked from that. I mean, this guy, um, Luca Lewis something, blank in my head here. But he did The Incredible Hulk. And he's done a couple other works here, but this one I think is what was the weak point was just how the direction was taken because you can kind of tell a lot of scenes from what didn't work to what did work and the action sequences and set pieces was sort of there and not there like it usually is. And even the bad ones, you still had very reasonable directors attached to it. And so this one was definitely um, more so the weak point and I think that could be where I'm lagging on. I mean, you know it's one of the weaker ones of the franchises when one of the big cameos is fucking Pete Davidson in, like, an internet cafe as, like, a hacker and shit. And, like, yeah, Louis Leterrier has, like, done an insanely wild, like, filmography talk about, like, doing different things. He was the director on the first Incredible Hulk movie. He did Now You See Me, which is actually, like, a terribly underrated franchise. He has that, like, action big car stuff down because of the, the Transporter franchise that he was a part of. And, like, I guess you could also put Spectacle in there with, like, Clash of the Titans. Uh, and one of my favorite most underrated films is Brothers Grimsby with a very infamous elephant scene, that which I love. Oh, yeah, yeah, take it down another half star while you're at it. I didn't say it was a good. I said I love it. But, yeah, I just... I don't know what they're going to do for the next two movies. I don't know how they have any ideas for a two-movie conclusion unless they're actually going to bring Paul Walker's corpse back from the dead like type stuff and like put him back in the movie. I don't understand what they're leading up to. Um, but like you said, it's just... They're definitely attempting the Marvel formula, and it's really funny to see, like, that old clip of Michelle Rodriguez saying, like, how many Marvel movies are we going to get? We're going to get fucking 12 Fast and Furiouses before we get even five Avengers movies. Like, I understand what you're saying, but it's ridiculous. But, and it's funny on that note because we always joke about how Fast and Furious started with with street racing and just hijacking semis. Uh, which, by the way, Johnny, can you get a little bit closer to this semi? Because we're gonna we're gonna jump onto that one while we're at it. Uh, and it, it started off like that back in 2001 and whatnot. And and even the sequel, Too Fast, Too Furious, shifting to Tokyo, didn't even involve Vin Diesel. And then just you know, one day out of the blue, um, something happened, and we got Fast and the Fast and the Furious. Or no, sorry, just Fast and Furious. It's also confusing. Uh, and then that's what led him into like. They're heist. They're bank robbers. They're, you know, they're pulling off these Ocean Eleven missions with cars, and these insane set action pieces. So it, it's one of those things where like you have to admire where they've come from because they at least had the thought to put stuff in there. I mean, it would have been boring if we're watching seven of these and all they're doing is street racing. I mean, like, like you can only make so many days of thunder where you have to start incorporating something else into it. And they do bring in interesting things here. So like I'll give Vin Diesel and the producers some credit there. Uh, it is, however, like the story you can tell they're running out of ideas, especially if they keep bringing people back from the dead um, or turning every bad guy into the family. Um, you know, we really should have been having beers while we do this, but I don't think you can do that while driving. Well, we're not driving. Johnny's driving. But also, Johnny's had six beers already, so we're, we don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, it's, yeah, there's really not much else sad. The movie, if you like these movies, you're going to see it anyway, so our review is not going to matter whatsoever because, like, this, they, this franchise has its devoted fan base. Like Brent said, they've done a fantastic job of evolving over the years, becoming what they are now, and, like, going from the start to the finish and, and rounding out this world and connecting these movies through the different through lines that actually weren't made to be connected in it in that major sense but while we talk about these specific uh, 
all these other movies alongside with Fast X, we might as well just move swiftly into what we're going to end this episode on. And it is going to be a shorter episode because we're in a car and it, this is not that easy. Um, we're going to just go ahead and give you our rankings of all 10 Fast and Furious movies from 10 to 1. Go back and forth, just where they land, what we think about them, why we have them in the position they are. And I will be starting off with my least favorite of the Fast and Furious movies, which is not the most recent movie, but the one right before it, F9, A Fast Saga. Also, one of the worst names. Like, they they did something at least fun with Fate and the Furious, and... They could have made Fast X a little bit like better, but F9 is is bad. Um, I don't hate John Cena's performance. It's just so hard to see him as like the brother to Dominic Toretto is like an actor and an, like it's two actors. So that's one thing. But like, I also think it's the most boring and forgetful of the movies. Like. I, I had watched it once in theaters. I tried to watch it again, and I still can hardly remember, like, specific beats that happens besides the, like, flashbacks to Dom's past. And there's, like, the scene with the magnets, but that's pretty much it and all I get from it. So I don't think it's the best one, obviously. It's the worst one, in my opinion. It'll be a while until we get talking about that one because I don't have it that far down the list. And that kind of just shows you where we are in this franchise as a, as a whole. But my, unfor- like, I, we're doing this, we're going to include the Hobbs and Shaw, I take it, correct? No, well, no, then, I mean, that's 11, we might as well just not. I- Hobbs and Shaw is great, but, like, I, just for a clean top 10, we're going to leave that off the list for now. Well, then, let me just real quick, while I have the mic, give my hot take on Hobbs and Shaw. Um... Perhaps some of the greatest uh, bromance on screen that anyone's ever seen. I think The Rock and Jason Statham deliver on so many levels. And I just, and Idris Elba and Vanessa Kirby, like that is a highly underrated film now that I look at that. Like it's really good. I was about to say, you were uh, if you didn't mention Vanessa Kirby, she is genuinely the reason why you like that movie so much. Yeah, you kind of had me there. But if we're going to stick to a clean 10... Uh, my number 10 would be Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, an interesting look uh, into what, you know, they could do for the sequel. Uh, John, John Singleton, a very well-earned director uh, of his time as well with with Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, Four Brothers, Baby Boy. Like, he, he knew what he was doing when they when he got himself onto this one, so there's no part, bad part in that. Um, there's just some stuff I was not fully on board with it. I mean, they definitely did a little bit more of the the police in, uh, side of the franchise with Paul Walker being undercover and getting Tyrese. Like, that stuff was really interesting and setting in Miami was a change of pace. Um, but I, to me, this one is just the least memorable considering what we've gotten from the other ones. Uh, well, that is my number nine, so I'll just get to talking about it because, I, I mean, I do agree with you totally. It was, the, it was like the first sequel it was like the first time we got a continuation to the characters we saw established and this one specifically was more focused on paul walker and expanding his like past and world and then you meet tyrese gibson and so i'll always appreciate it for bringing roman pierce to the world but as far as like an overall and ludicrous and that beautiful afro of his i bring back the afro in my opinion uh, but no, it's just, it's not the best of the movies. You have a kind of over-the-top and, like, not believable performance from Eva Longoria, which, where has she been? She better be coming back in this second-to-last movie or whatever. Eva, uh, Eva Mendez, not Longoria. But, uh, I mean, uh, they, like like you said, I think the, I'm, there's some great action sequence. I love seeing them, like, actually driving the cars and... The, the point is to, like, make the drug delivery in a specific amount of time, and that's why they need all the fast drivers, and then it ends with the, them jumping the car onto the yacht, which might be, like, that first dip in their toes into the ridiculous action set piece world that they now live in, but it is just one of the most unmemorable and least rewatchable of the franchise. So, number nine for Brent. Not too bad there. Uh... My number nine is going to be Fast and Fierce. This would be the fourth installment of the franchise. And the re, the re, you know, ignition of the engine, you can say, where they brought back Vin Diesel. There is a 
uh, post-credit stinger in Tokyo Drift that in, uh, has Dominic Tredo back on the streets uh, racing again, which is what they were kind of teasing, which is pretty fun when you go back and kind of see where they are now because of that. But uh, Fast and Furious, direct first one, for, not Justin Lin's first one, but more so his first, like, big brought into, like, what he can do towards this franchise. Uh, I I like this one, but it's very unrememberable. I mean, you get the whole the Letty dynamic and, and her death, which is what brings back Dom, Dom to L.A. and his reuniting with uh, Brian O'Connor's character, you can say, and all the in-between stuff. And you, you learn a little bit more of of what everyone's been up to, kind of in a way, after years being apart. And that, that's, uh, that part's nice from it. Um, there's some cool set sequences, but not too much, uh, as they believe this one kind of takes place in in somewhere in Mexico, if I'm not mistake, uh, mistaken. Um, but yeah, this one's not too rememberable for me. Um, it's just it's one of those where like it's cool we got it because what we got after it was fucking amazing. Well, my number seven is going to be the one formally mentioned, and that is the Fast X movie. Number 10. Uh, I mean, maybe if I live with it a little bit longer, it could work its way up or down the list. But after just first rewatch, it's definitely not the cream of the crop. Um, like I said, because of the the weakness of the all-around like screenplay and how connective the characters can be in this movie. But... I mean, none of these are not entertaining, so, like, I can say bad things about them, but I still find, like, enjoyment watching all of them. Uh, but, yeah, moving on. Yeah, my, my number eight, sir, would be the same Fast 10. There's just not much I can pull from it. And, I, and I, I've already rewatched it, like, so I've seen this twice already. So there there's some good to take out of it, that being, like, Jason Momoa, maybe... Maybe part two makes me like this a little bit more because I know the conclusion. I mean, it'd be interesting to watch those back to back. I know we will do that. Um, but yeah, we've already said kind of stuff with, with that. So we'll go into our number seven. Well, now I get to mention what I think about Fast and Furious in that fourth installment because it also is the installment where we get Gal Gadot's character. It's also the installment where I'm pretty positive that they round out the team and, like, you see... is Does Han show up in 4 or 5 to be a part of the team? Right. Right, okay. Right, exactly. So, it's it, there's again, there's a lot to love about this movie, but it is one of the more forgettable ones. I think the only thing I can remember about this specifically is them driving through those tunnels that are, like, collapsing on them to do the drug run or whatever they were doing. And it's, but it is, it like after, when you're watching, the thing is when you're watching like the, like the, the series in order and you get to four, it is pretty damn exciting seeing all the characters come back together for the first time after being like separated in that sequel and prequel of two and three. But like I, like I said, it's just not one of the more memorable movies. I just remembered, I think the cool thing that I did, you did get with Fast and Furious is at the very end, you know, Dominic Tredo is getting sentenced to prison and you get teased the breakout uh, with the bus and how the cars are running up on the side of it. I think that was like the cool thing from that movie, aside from like the new additions of characters. Um, so then my number seven here is going to be Tokyo Drift. I might need to just edit this so I don't confuse myself here. Yeah, so my number seven is going to be Tokyo Drift. I think Justin Lin's first directing direction into this franchise is really sweet. And it kind of, like, brought a new addition into the Fast and Furious by introducing us, you know, the style of drift and the art that comes with that. And then as well as just kind of having it set in Tokyo is really cool and doesn't have, like, very memorable characters, to say the least, but still fun actors and still a fun rift on what the franchise was. And it wasn't too much of a commercial success but it was I think reviewed pretty well um, and I think it's you know kind of liked within the universe as a whole um, especially after looking at the fucking rating my co-host just gave it Jesus Christ um, it might be a while till you hear him talk about this one but yeah I, I have Tokyo Drift here number seven I have a good memory of watching this in theaters uh, down in Florida with the whole family as uh, Dominic Tredo intended uh, it to be seen so that is my number seven 
uh, your whole family except for your dad, right? <laughs> I'm gonna cut that out. Don't worry. No, if he. Li oh, does he listen? Is your dad a listener now? No. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Alright, well. Well, that's what you get for ranking Tokyo Drift so low, anyways. Uh, my next one for my sixth spot. Wait. No, this is my five spot? No, this is my sixth spot. The Fate of the Furious. Number eight. So, this is the one where you definitely see them start to, like, slide downhill in, like, what they're doing cohesively with the stories and the characters. But it is still just like that. It's that good, and the interactions are that good that it keeps it afloat for me. I mean, you almost—you're so close to losing me when you when the rock literally uh, kicks a torpedo or throws a torpedo at another tank, because I mean, that is that's like the new joke of the franchise. Is like they've gone way over the hill. They've absolutely just started doing whatever they want to make the big explosions oh man that is a big uh cross ah oh, it burns my eyes my jewish eyes uh, <laughs> but no I, I i can't get over the the like how cool a lot of the scenes are i love the gang and like seeing them actually just tackle a mission post what happened in seven obviously it would be really hard to rejoin the team uh when after losing one of your like family members literally in the sense of being an actor and a character for Paul Walker but they come out they make an absolutely fun movie nonetheless you get Kurt Russell back so yeah I really enjoy Fate of the Furious more than I, I remembered actually my number six is uh, Fast 9 I don't think this is as bad as my fellow co-host mentions earlier but I think it's, it's a fun blockbuster type of film uh, this is definitely one of the first releases, excuse me, that we had in theaters after COVID. So I, I enjoyed kind of what we got from that, and just the the energy that was really kind of created with the whole cast as a whole, and just kind of being able to spin and do its own thing here. And the introduction to you know the brother that Dominic Toretto has always had that we always knew about, we just never really talked about it, and it was kind of finally shown the light here. I I enjoy this one. Um, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not spectacular, but it's still a pretty, you know, interesting product of what this franchise is as a whole, because there's some really cool action sequences and, and whatnot, and I think I enjoyed it more on the rewatch, and so knowing the film this late in the game had something uh, nice off on a rewatch was pretty nice, and I mean, Justin Lin directed the shit out of this, and I think that's what was missing in the last one, Fast 10, so F... F9, I mean, yeah, quite the title that they're coming up with. Um, but, yeah. Then next up for me is number five, which is number one. Um, the first movie, The Fast and the Furious, I don't have nearly as much nostalgia for a lot of, than a lot of people do for this movie because it's not the first movie of the franchise that I actually saw. Uh, I had to go back and watch them later. And it is the, like, heart and soul of this movie. You can go back to the beginning of this franchise, no matter how ridiculous they get, and you see the, like, true connection between the characters of uh, Dom and Brian established right then and there that, like, is ever-present through the rest of these movies. And, like, this love they share and this this connection and this this... The, the the meeting of family for this character it's uh, really incredible and like I said these movies are great and action packed and you gotta love the like cool cars and the slick action and the way the, the like editing is, is done to make these action sequences so good but at the end of the day it's about the characters it's about the people and the people are real, again the heart and soul of this franchise and you can't have the, this franchise without the very first movie. So, there you go. My number five, and I've been waiting to say this for a while, is Fate of the Fierce because it's been getting so much hate, and after watching Fast X, I came out of it, and this was the only thing I could think of for some strange reason. Um, but this one, like uh, Brett mentioned prior, is like, you know, they had to come up with something and do something after the passing of Paul Walker, and I think the way they invented... Uh, the plot of this one and, and just the insane of 
Dominic Toretto turning on his family. There was the that well, I remember teased trailer. Like I think it was like during the Super Bowl, it got released or something. But uh, nonetheless, I, I really love the addition of Charlize Theron in this franchise. I mean, I I could spend this whole car ride talking about what she's done. Never mind. Uh, but she she's amazing in this. You also get the return with Jason Statham in more uh, ways than what we first saw him. And it's just an action-packed film with, uh, like, zombie cars, I remember, and the more focus on the cybernets of, of what auto car, AI cars can do and whatnot, and then the tank, I mean, the submarine sequence in the end. But I really enjoyed this one because you get to learn more of uh, Dom's backstory and kind of, like, give what we would mind an aimless character to have uh, more of a character arc. And it's just, it's really neat kind of, getting to see what this team has to face in this one and an actual threat of a villain at least so we thought in this but this one was fun i mean definitely an interesting turn with director f gary gary um but nonetheless i, I just i don't know i really i, I want to get back and rewatch this because i think i might enjoy it more uh on the second time as i think it kind of gets a bad rap now but uh the title actually makes sense the fate of the furious given uh, the plot details of it but yeah i mean i i don't know i just there's something with this one that I think I'm kind of liking more and more after the last two installments. That's why it's in my top five. I think they needed to, like, when they were spelling the title, it should be the F8 of the Furious, and then instead of F9. Because then it's fate, but it, like, it looks right. Anyways. Uh, my number four coming to the cream of the crop when it comes to these movies. I think actually all of these are incredibly entertaining blockbusters with great story and great character connections. And starting with my number four, that would be the fate or wait, uh, Fast and Furious Six. I gotta always look at the titles because who knows if it's Fast or Furious or if the, what the number is, but whatever. Um. This one is truly the establishment of the team. It is like we got everyone we've known and loved for this whole franchise. Brian, Han, Giselle, Roman, Tej, Dom, and they aren't, I'm, if I'm, they, Letty's back in this one, right? Yeah. Does she have her full memories back? Well, kind of. Okay, she's coming back. But we got the whole team, and they're doing this, uh, like you said, the Ocean's Eleven heist shit. They're performing all these action stuff. They're they're stealing things for Kurt Russell or whatever, or maybe that's Seven. But they're, like, that. this is what the franchise became and what made people re-fall in love with the franchise. It's these kind of things. So it was great to see all this stuff. Great to see this team show up again. Um... I, the runway sequence is iconic just because of the, how in scientifically inaccurate. Like it, it had to have been like a 500 mile long airplane tarmac for them to be driving the way they were uh, for as long as they were. But it is fun, ridiculous, and absolutely insane. And it it started what had become the renaissance of Fast and Furious movies for me. But yeah. My number four is uh, the first installment of the franchise, The Fast and the Furious. Um, who would have thought we would have gotten this far from something so small with this? What seems to be just a uh, straight-to-DVD kind of movie. I know that's what the sequels were almost almost at. I mean, just your typical 2000s run-of-the-mill kind of action movie in, in a way where it takes a, a play of something. Very memorable lines and introduction of these characters. Paul Walker's Brian O'Connor and Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto, um, as well as the mix of like all these other fun characters and some that have returned uh, in later installments, which was cool. But this one, I mean, it's it really kind of sells you as what um, their I guess intentions were. Uh, really fun street racing. Um, there's this uh, there the whole idea of like the cop going undercover uh, to exploit them, but then turns on. Uh, onto the good guys. I, I can't remember the um, the the running joke on that because uh, there's another movie like that. But this this was pretty cool. Um, I know it's it's probably just as much rewatchable as the other ones are. Uh, and then definitely, I mean, if if I had to like really take a stab at it here, I'm looking at movies that came out in the year 2000s, and it's kind of shocking to see like how many of these could have been at the part they're at. I mean, Ocean's Eleven. 
I would have. I actually would be okay seeing ten of those. Maybe ten Zoolanders, ten Legally Blondes, ten Monsters Inc. Ten Shreks were almost there. But it's 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 remarkable to kind of see the movies that came out in the year two thousand. Wow, like this is this is actually a really good year. Um, it would been pretty crazy to see how many uh, films in that year that would have gotten the same style of release that we're getting now with the Fast and Furious franchise. But the, definitely, you know, a really great introductions to what the actors we've come to love, uh, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker are, um, and what this franchise started off meaning to everybody. I I failed to mention in the last episode how great I think uh, Owen or Luke uh, Evans Luke Evans is as Owen Shaw in the wait is he Owen or is he the other one? Okay, uh, but yeah, he's great in in six obviously, but that leads me perfectly into my number three, which is seven, where we get the best probably like overall villain of the franchise with Deckard Shaw who is now basically more of an anti-hero throughout the franchise after the seventh installment because of the big impact that he made to this franchise and what he brought to it I mean Furious 7 is a perfect blockbuster it makes you laugh it makes you cry it makes you go wow it gives you an adrenaline rush it makes you cling to your seat in anticipation and it has some of the most iconic action set pieces like the jumping the sports car from one building to the other in Dubai like you remember that stuff forever and so these movies are just so iconic and great in the sense that like they can do these things but like seven is where things started to change obviously it's most well known for being the last film for Paul Walker because he tragically passed away in a car accident and the way they handled that in the movie is masterful. You, you, you usually see characters like that get killed off specifically. And instead of actually just killing him off, they gave him an amazing send-off. They sent him into retirement into this universe. So we don't actually lose the character, but we, can, we know we won't have to worry about seeing him again. And that's where the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Charlie Puth song comes coming in. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear that. Uh, you, as soon as I put the mic by the speaker, he turned it off. Uh, but yeah, I mean that the song is just iconic as the movie specifically. But I just you can't. It's, it is it's, You can't not put this one in the top three. It made so many grown men weep when they were leaving the theater. <laughs> Uh, I'll have that conversation soon, but my number three, uh, Fast and Furious 6, Furious 6, whatever you want to call it, um, the Furious 6, the Magnificent 6, I don't know, there's so many ways they could go about it. Um, what's really funny is, like, I think overseas this film, this franchise is sold as the title Wild Treats or something like that, and so, like, each movie with the title starting as Wild Treats is really funny, seeing after it's gotten to 10. But, uh, yeah, Furious 6, I have here at number 3. I think this is a just the epitome of what you want a blockbuster of it, of this length to go to. Um, you're introduced to this, you know, return of Letty as she's with this really this bad team of, of robbers. And it's kind of a running joke of, like, you know, this team is the British version of what we've gotten in this Fast and Furious franchise and that family. And... You know, you have your characters that, that resembles all of them, and I thought that was really funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, this movie is just—it's—it's it's intense. Yeah, it brings back everyone we've loved and introduces us to new ways of where where the you know franchise can go as a whole, and also ends with one of the really cool stingers of the franchise, where you get you know the introduction of Jason Statham uh, killing Han in what turned out to be you know a staged event in fear in Tokyo Drift that comes back which is really cool um, but yeah I mean everything on this movie was really really neat I know that there are some people that love this more than the others you can have your opinion you might be wrong on it though sometimes this one it's great uh, does definitely has a rewatchable value but when you have the uh, the last two of these films that I'm going to talk about um, this one just has to stay at three speaking of the number three no uh 
Brent teased it a little bit at the beginning, but my number two is the very first Fast and Furious movie I've ever seen. It's the one I have the most nostalgic lo- nostalgic love for. It's the one with a 30-year-old high schooler. It's Tokyo Drift, folks. This, I mean, this movie almost doesn't fit inside of the Fast and Furious franchise because of how, like, wildly different it feels from all the other ones. Even after, even before and after all of these different movies we've gotten. Um, but that's what I love about it. It has its own colorful, vibrant tone. It, uh, I mean, the music is amazing. The story is great. Han is the best character in the universe, and I will argue with that till the day I die. But, though, I mean, like I said, it almost kind of hurts that, in, like you were talking about, they, they show that Han was, like, alive in, fast, in F9 because of some loophole. It takes away from the emotional stakes that movie has. Uh, I don't also love that they completely wasted the other ancillary characters, like Bow Wow and Lucas Black or whatever, um, in F9 as well. Um, that's why I have so much disdain for F9, and I was waiting to say that, is because they kind of mess with my Tokyo Drift, and you leave my Tokyo Drift alone. I, I love this movie so much. It is it is ranked very high, and probably a little too high, but like I said, I get that biased love of the movie that brought me to the franchise, so there is that. Well said. I mean, it's not, 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 a, not a bad riff there, because it definitely reinvented some things, but my number two is Furious 7, uh, this film, for all the things that it brought to us, uh, which is the first thing right off the bat, directed by horror icon himself, James Wan. Uh, not often you can pull that one out of a hat. But uh, this one, definitely one of the more successful box office entries, uh, not just with this franchise, but of you know almost all time, you can say, because this one brought in an extra amount of wealth considering the the baggage that it brought with it the unfortunate passing of paul walker and just the i mean how many sin-offs can you get that just are not just as you know proper and poetic and sincere as what we got with it but like it blends real life and cinema in, in ways that we haven't really seen too often i mean a guy that was unfortunately taken too early and unfortunately passing in a tragic accident that involved cars and what his character did in the movie it just really brings it all together and I think you know the franchise itself needed like this film was definitely well suited for the franchise it it brings everything that the characters look looking for a very top-notch adversary in Jason Statham um, it I mean the guy bangs up Luke Hobbs in the very beginning which goes to show you the kind of you know fight that they're gonna have on their hands here and it's it's a great it's a great uh, film. I remember you know there's the moment where they're at the funeral and and like Tyrese is like banged up or you know that Han's funeral and whatnot. And he's sitting there talking about you know funerals and people gotta stop dying and, and Paul Walker telling him like there's no more funerals. He's like there's just one and you see Dominic Toretto like just taking off and you know what is soon to be the high octane adrenaline that this franchise gives. We do get the introduction of Kurt Russell's Nobody in this one, which is kind of fun take um trivia fact for you folks uh, this the originally character they wanted uh, the actor they wanted for the character of mr nobody was kurt uh, that they got kurt russell to play they wanted denzel washington i know that would have been quite the franchise turner if they were able to get him involved in this um, which would have been a blast I, th- I think denzel would have been just amazing turn uh for what we gotten to know with the character um but nonetheless this movie it just it's very very good for what the franchise is um and it also what it brought on a more of a personal level and, and real life tone to it and i just i like everything that this movie has and stands for it's it's really neat um unfortunately there's just one that's better and i think if you're connecting the pieces you know which one we're talking about right i was about to say if my math is correct we have the same number one and that is fast five and we've been talking about turning points in this franchise almost throughout the entire conversation of all these movies, but this truly is where the franchise took a left turn away from street racing and into the world of, like, secret Asian espionage. And it was per- it was all for the better. We get the introduction of The Rock's character, Lucas Hobbs, who is easily the most... Like, I think as far as 
opponents for the character of Dom Toretto, Luke Hobbs, is the guy. He is like, he is the lawful good to to Vin Diesel's chaotic good in these movies, and that is what is amazing about these characters, and specifically this movie. I mean, they ripped it. Uh, they they ripped through the country of Brazil with a big-ass metal safe attached to a couple of cars, and that told you right there that they were done giving a shit in this franchise. They were done caring about physics and, like, real life, and they just wanted to make the biggest action spectacles that they could, and they were also able to make one of the best, most cohesive stories with the best character interactions out of the entire franchise. So that, I mean, it's... it's you could ask probably a room of 50 people and 45 of them would be like, yeah, Fast Five is the best. Well, as long as you don't have Chase in that room, then you're, you're, you're pretty much well pointed there. Chase is wrong about <laughs> everything. Oh. Yeah, I mean, very well said. Fast Five is not, I mean, like I said earlier, it's, it's not just one of the best films of the franchise, but it's one of the best action films of the decade. And right there in the conversation with Mad Max Fury Road, and Mission Impossible Fallout, I mean, this one really transcends what we've gotten from the franchise. And, and while we haven't had anything as similar and close to this one, this movie is insanely great. Um, just, I mean, everything we get from the introduction of The Rock's Hobbs, it's it's awesome. I mean, it's an action movie of all action movies. I mean, everything I say about it just makes me want to watch it some more. I mean, the the with the setting of being in uh, Rio and all the safe chasing sequence at the end I mean it's it's fucking insane and then knowing like what this movie meant for the franchise going forward in Fast 10 you learn later on is obviously kind of you know a whole circle moment but this one just you know another top notch performance we get with Dom and Brian and together we get more and what I think is also really good about this one is like this is one of the more later ends with Mia and what she meant to the team and like being able to be out there on the streets with them fighting and racing but uh, this one is really, really cool. I mean, it's 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 awesome. Like, everything about this, the action sequences and just the buildup for it all and, and how it plays out is remarkable and stands the test of, like, how we remember this. How this franchise will be remembered is uh, going to start with this one because it rejuvenated and brought it back and really showed the power of what, you know, the right creative minds can do with, with franchises. And, I mean, this, this was really cool and easily going to be everyone's number one there and I mean Justin Lin I, I think he needs to get back into the, the wheel here but he's not uh, yeah I mean it, it's the face of Vin Diesel for sure and there's a lot to be taken out of it and taken forward from it I guess you can say but I, I'm on uh, I'm definitely on board with uh, I'm going to be there for it to finish um, but definitely no matter what Fast Five is going to be number one uh, for everybody I mean you know it's the best one when the actual filmmakers and team ha- com- they continuously revert back to the things that were set up in 5 in 8 you get Elena back and you get the fact that Dom has now had a son with her and then in 10 your villain is the son of the main they like literally rewrite the old one of the scenes in Fast Five in Fast X and like change they just add Jason Momoa in it's like not even change and I failed to mention this when we were talking about the episode but I was really annoyed when they made the announcement that they were like digitally re-adding Paul Walker into this movie in some way shape or form and the only way he's in this movie is like literally just scenes from Fast Five so that was kind of like a little bit annoying and a little bit of a red herring. But yeah, what a franchise. We're, we'll, we got two more movies apparently. I think we're going to get them even if they don't make money here. But we'll have to wait and see on that one. But my excitement level is probably right around where it was before Fast X. You can't really get me to go any lower with this franchise. It's just that ridiculous and that entertaining. Uh, But that'll wrap up this car episode of the podcast where we are recording mobile. Uh, We will leave you, like always, even though we're heading swiftly down the highway in the state of Illinois. Uh, 
with a recommendation for something we watched. And mine is more of a recommendation for a, a film team than it is for a specific film. But I have spent like the last couple of days exclusively watching movies from the guys from Broken Lizard. And I think their movies are hysterical. I think their comedy is definitely maybe not of this era, but the early 2000s were a wild time for big budget comedies and they made the best of it. Super Troopers is an act like active comedy classic, but I watched things like Club Dread and Slam and Salmon for the first time ever and those are okay. They're not they're not anything great by any means, but they this group of guys are just so comedically in tune with what's funny they all get an opportunity to play different types of characters even though you're just seeing them show up again and again and again all these in all these movies so i just i'm really entertaining or i'm really entertained by what they can do comedically and i'm i'm a big fan so go watch their movies i will recommend a movie that you've not you've totally you've definitely heard us talk about on the pod before um definitely a film that gets in the conversation anytime you talk Movies that need s- sequels. <laughs> uh, but I read it. The, uh, the other day was the seven year anniversary of the Nice Guys release. So I went ahead and cranked that on uh, the theater home that I was at because my gosh, was that beautiful to watch. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, if I haven't said before, like, this movie is fantastic. Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe are amazing. I mean, talented people coming together is always a great thing. And then throwing in the mix of, you know, my favorite genre being detective work, but also throwing in a nice comedy, comedic beat to it. Uh, this movie is, is hysterical. I mean, it gets better on rewatches. And one of the things that I think was my favorite part of this, though, is not only was the movie great that and what Shane Black brought to us as just a writer-director as a whole, and he wants to do a sequel, folks. Like, he wants to do it, and I, I think we might be close to it. Um, but also like the promotion for this film. Like I remember watching just uh, during award shows and Gosling and Crow like doing work together in interviews and just the amazing chemistry they have with each other. Like I want to see that grow and I want to see a sequel so freaking bad. I mean, it's 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 there. Like Gosling's comedic performance is one of the best. I was laughing my ass off every time I watched this. It's it's fantastic and. And Crow plays probably one of his best characters in this film. And I'm hoping we're getting closer to that. I'm going to start my marketing now. But thanks for uh, thanks for taking this ride with us. Thanks for driving for us, Johnny. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah Johnny, any, any words before we sign off? Uh, and that's our episode, <laughs> folks. Thanks for coming. You have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.